0: Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business and politics. Sponsored by TSX Broadway. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, changes may be coming to one of the Internet's oldest success stories and the latest on America's record-setting government shutdown. The first, Swiss cheese. This week is the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, where so many of the world's rich and powerful will gather to eat and drink and ski and then discuss global ills like wealth inequality and climate change. It's the CONFAB's 47th year, and like many events in their fifth decade, more and more people are questioning its usefulness. Or as consultant Lauren McEvitt put it in Britain's City AM newspaper this morning, quote, Davos is a better organized, allegedly philanthropic fire festival for influential boomers with fondue instead of cheese cheese slices. Ouch. So the reality really, though, is that Davos seems to represent an old top-down hierarchy in a world that's becoming more populist by the day. Yes, it is well-meaning. And yes, it still matters for those trying to strike deals, either business or political or both. But the Internet really has democratized us, the world, in a way that the old men on the mountaintops no longer get listened to by the masses down below. Instead, they're mostly ignored, particularly when so much of what they preach in Davos is not practiced when they return home. In 20 seconds, we'll go deeper on all this with Axios Chief Financial Correspondent, Felix Salmon. But first, this. TSX Broadway is bringing Times Square into the digital age. The project will be a powerhouse for event activation with a 46-story tower wrapped in LED screens, a luxury hotel, experiential retail space, and Times Square's only permanent outdoor stage. Learn more about this breathtaking platform at tsxbroadway.com. We're joined now by Axios Chief Financial Correspondent, Felix Salmon. So, Felix, you have been to the World Economic Forum in Davos before, right?
1: I've been many times, yeah. I don't think I need to go again, but I've been like eight or nine times, I think.
0: When you went, did you feel the event in terms, and I don't mean the logistics of it, but the value of it, did it diminish over the years, which is why you didn't go again? Or do you look back and say, it was never terribly valuable and I went anyway?
1: More or less the latter. It was never very valuable. I went anyway. It was fun. It was interesting. I met a bunch of really interesting people I wouldn't have otherwise met. There's value to the participants of being able to convene like this. Certainly, a bunch of journalists and CEOs get to meet each other. They're all in the same place at the same time. Um, You get to get a bunch of important meetings in, and you also get to do a bunch of equally important just socializing. So you can see for the very rich and the very powerful, how it serves a purpose for them. I don't think it ever really served much of a grander purpose for the planet as the World Economic Forum would like you to believe. And I certainly think that whatever purpose it has been declining in recent years.
0: Why declining over recent years?
1: Well, the, the idea behind Davos was always that if you got leaders from the media and industry and government and civil society and nonprofits and academia and brought them all together with the joint purpose of improving the state of the world, then this relatively small number of like two or 3000 people on the top of an Alp in Switzerland could actually change the planet and make it better. And I think what you have seen is that it turns out that the broad mass of people on the planet who are doing everything from the Arab Spring to voting for Brexit, to voting for Trump, to voting for Bolsonaro, um, or even voting for Putin in that, for that matter, or the broad mass of people in China who, who are you know, behaving in probably more comprehensible ways, but none of them are really listening to what's going on in Davos or being affected by it at all. And anything that the people in Davos and the Davos elite want to happen, like it, it's kind of ignored by reality.
0: So you're basically saying that the bottom 99% doesn't have the money, but they actually have the power.
1: Exactly. And, and yeah, they, don't, they, they have a lot of power. And, they, and it turns out that the billionaires in Davos and the heads of state in Davos have much less power and influence over the course of you know the way that the world evolves then maybe the World Economic Forum thought
0: they did. I wonder though, is it that they have less influence and less power than WEF thought they did, or is it that they aren't actually trying to exert it? In other words, you go to Davos, you have these panel discussions, you talk a big game, and then you go home and you don't really change much about your own behavior, your own company, or your own firm's behavior. We've even seen this a bit, and you and I have had this conversation recently about Larry Fink, who runs BlackRock, which is this you know trillion dollar, the the largest asset manager in the world who has talked a ton about social responsibility, but at least from my perspective, hasn't taken the steps that would actually be required, really basically put his money where his mouth is to actually try to create or, or push forward that sort of social change without outside of sending letters.
1: Right. I think that really all that Larry Fink can do is send letters. That's more or less, like most of his money is, is passively invested. He could move out of passive investment and say, I am now an environmental social and governance activist and I am not I'm going to basically kill iShares which is the majority of my assets which is you know just investing in the whole broad index and I'm just and I'm going to start creating funds which which care very much about like governance factors and I'm going to invest in companies which do that and divest in companies which don't do that I don't think that would actually make a huge amount of difference to share prices or wealth distribution or corporate behavior because he's not really a marginal price eater. It might make a tiny bit of difference. But the fact is, you're absolutely right. These people are just not that important or influential.
0: Final thing for you, Felix, since it's not just business people and journalists, you have a lot of policymakers and politicians and elected officials in Davos. Why, from your perspective, do the conversations that happen there, at least the ones that happen in the public, not seem, at least often, to translate into public policy once people leave the Alps?
1: Well, I think the prime example of this is the United Kingdom, right? Every single year you'd get the UK delegation coming through Davos talking about how wonderfully, you know, global and right thinking they were. And then they just get completely blindsided by this referendum which screwed everything up and there's nothing they can do about it. And now the entire country is a mess and they're not going to Davos because they have their country is falling apart. And you can talk a great game about global financing facilities and all the rest of it, which the UK did. And honestly, if Davos has created anything good in the world, it's probably the global financing facility, which was put together by Gordon Brown, who was the former prime minister of the UK. But domestic politics will always trump whatever high-minded ideals you had in Davos for three days.
0: Felix Salmon, chief financial correspondent for Axios. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. My final two right after this. Every day, 400,000 people pass through Times Square. And soon, titans of the digital economy will have a new way to reach them. TSX Broadway is a retail playland designed to host 15 million visitors every year with interactive retail, live performances, food and beverage service, and a luxury hotel. Learn more at tsxbroadway.com. Now it's time for my final two, and first up is eBay. As an activist hedge fund called Elliott Management this morning revealed that it's acquired a $1.4 billion stake in the company and said it's gonna push for big changes. So chief among them would be splitting off eBay's classified and StubHub business from its primary marketplace platform. Why it matters is that eBay is one of the internet's oldest and most successful companies but it's also one that has previously succumbed to activist investor pressure. So the big example was when Carl Icahn in 2014 pushed for big changes, which after a lot of eBay grumbling and we won't do it, we won't do it, ultimately led to a spin out of PayPal. So don't be surprised to see eBay follow a similar path here. Finally, we're now at day 32 of the federal government shutdown, meaning we're also nearing a second missed pay period for hundreds of thousands of federal workers. And if it continues into this weekend, and all indications are that it will, the shutdown could end up costing the US economy more money in real dollars than what President Trump is asking for for the wall. So that's according to a research note from S&P Global Chief US Economist Beth Ann Bovino, who figures that the shutdown costs about 1.2 billion of US GDP per week it persists. So five weeks therefore equals $6 billion. Trump and his latest offer wants $5.7 billion for his wall. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Adam Grassi and Tim Shovers, have a great national blonde brownie day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another ProRata podcast.